The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins and it wouldn't be unreasonable to say this is about the only place you will find a discussion on environmental issues that cuts through the guff and gets to the core of the story and gives you some pretty straightforward opinion on all matters green along the way. And a brief explainer about the DNA of the podcast. The series follows the opinions, initiatives and ideas of Dale Vince, the entrepreneur and environmentalist. He built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company. Also happens to be the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. Dale, morning to you. Yeah, morning Ian. Loving the uh, loving the intro. Maybe laugh. I didn't know the word <laughs> guff existed outside of Norfolk. That's where I laughed. Is that a Norfolk it. word? Is well, that a Norfolk word? It lives in Norfolk. It must live other places too obviously lives in Kent clearly found its way down the uh, whatever down to the toilet of Britain <laughs> yes, which it, we are coming ever closer to the outside lose of the M20. Um, it's only a matter of time. Well, let's let's start then with our uh, with our master. This government is delivering a fantastic agenda in tackling climate change. Uh, we lead the world in going uh, for a zero carbon approach. Uh, and this, of course, follows uh, the news today: the UK aiming to cut its carbon emissions by at least sixty-eight percent of what they were in nineteen ninety by the end of 2030. Dale, what's not to like? And I'm sure you're going to tell me there's something. Well, I don't know, actually. I mean, on the face of it, it looks good. I don't know why they chose 68 and didn't round it to 70, because they've said at least anyway. It's not like uh, a hard and fast number. You know, it's a, it's a broad target. Why not, why not make it 70%? I haven't had the chance to look to see if that keeps us on track for Paris and stuff like that, but I suspect it might or we'll be close anyway. So I think, you know, it might represent a serious upscaling of ambition. So that would be hang on a second let me get this right this is this could be a Dale is this a Dale Vince endorsement of Boris Johnson mm, yeah let me think about that for a second <laughs> I, think we might, I think we might need a pint or two to think about that. No, no look, uh, you know, fair's fair. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to look at the detail, but if this is something that gets us a, even close to keeping up with our, our, you know, our Paris trajectory, then then I say fair play. Uh, obviously, yeah. the devil is in the delivery. It's okay to say this stuff, but we've got to actually make it happen. And so far, we haven't seen the policy to back up the targets, any of the targets from this government. Uh, but I like the target. I can say that. Yeah, I mean, scientists have welcomed the news, but they did say that it, it doesn't actually guarantee that dangerous climate change will be avoided. And it, no. it's the jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? I mean, this, you know, this one part of it, etc. Hot air doesn't fight hot air, does it? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> we will watch with interest. Um, here's a question that comes from Pete on Twitter. Uh, you're saying the government should have funded football. Uh, it's a rich man's sport, says Pete. 
don't think that it was is. a crunchy that was a crunching gear change wasn't it straight from from, <laughs> yeah. from that to football yeah i don't think football is a rich man's sport i think it's yeah it's not that is it i think uh you could argue the horse racing is a rich man's sport you could say the same about rugby uh, but i don't think it would be true in the case of football uh, or rugby Meh. even even horse racing the people that watch horse racing are not rich people per se yeah. maybe the uh, you know the people that own the horses are and the people that own the premier league clubs are so i get that but my point was that the government have funded an awful lot. I mean, almost every sector of our society, certainly our economy, that has suffered through pandemic restrictions, all businesses, uh, you know, have had some kind of support or another, and sports have had. I mean, last week, $40 million was given to horse racing, $135 million was given to rugby. Uh, we saw five hundred million given to pubs in August, one and a half billion to the arts, and hundreds of billions of of soft loans from the government, as well as grants to all sectors of the economy. But nothing, absolutely nothing, to football. And what I'm saying is, why is that? Why is football treated exceptionally by this government? I think they have a problem with football, and I think it's a Market Rashford linked problem. I think they're upset uh, that. They were embarrassed into two U-turns around feeding hungry children in school holidays uh, by a footballer. And uh, I think they hold resentment towards the sport. You think that's the, the, the catalyst there? Like, that they, it's a kind of almost a payback for I, chronic <laughs> embarrassment to the PM. Well, I can't think of another reason. I think they need to tell us the reason because there is no other industry or area of our economy that is being treated like football from the get-go. They've said the Premier League should support the EFL and the football pyramid. They haven't said that the supermarkets should support the corner shops. They've given football nothing. They've given the supermarkets well over a billion pounds in rate relief, which they're now giving back so they can pay hundreds of millions in dividends. But they haven't said they should support corner shops or high streets. They haven't said Weatherspoon should support independent pubs, but they've had plenty of money from the government as well. But when it comes to football, they say the Premier League has money and therefore should give money to basically it's industry fellows if not competitors when it comes to the championship and uh, it's just standout unique treatment and i don't understand why i think they should tell us yeah that's not an unreasonable point isn't it but it, mm. it's again it's it's a bit like the uh, we talked the other day didn't we about non-petrol and diesel cars it's the, it's the thing that gets the headlines and the government know that you mentioned football then that's the one that gets all the headlines yeah, it could be so. But honestly, I don't understand it culturally because the Premier League is an incredibly successful business. This is a conservative government that, that worship business and entrepreneurial skills and making money. The Premier League have done phenomenally well at that. And they put billions a year into our economy as a result. Why yeah. do the government dislike them so? I mean, the government's reaction to yesterday's announcement of the Premier League bunging money into the EFL was simply to say it took too long and it means that football has a governance issue what yeah. an incredible reaction yeah yeah incredible uh let's move on to this this is uh, back to more environmental matters the earth continue to endure a period of significant heating in 2020 so it looks as if this year will be one of the three hottest so 2016 2019 2020 uh, the warmest uh, six years in global records dating back to 1850 have now all occurred since 2015 yeah amazing and 
<laughs> there will still be people uh, out there, hopefully, probably not listening to this, uh, or maybe I should hope they are listening to this, that think that climate change is not real. Uh, and even if it is, it's not man-made, that it's a natural phenomena. But, you know, the data just keeps saying something else. It keeps saying, no, actually not. You know, it's an acute issue and it's caused by human activity in the last 150 years, pretty much since the uh, beginning of the Industrial Revolution and the mass burning of fossil fuels as we get into in my book, Cue the Boogle. It is. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. I heard you on talk radio in the week with Mike Graham, um, and it was a very it was a very affable chat. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Mike has been a bit skeptical um, yeah. about certain aspects, but you know, I, I sensed you were winning him over. Yeah, I sensed that as well. And you know what? I like Mike. It's a funny thing. When I first went on his show. Uh, I was slightly shocked. He was like full on rant mode at me. Didn't give me a chance to speak, answer any questions, anything, you know. And, and I was quite shocked. <laughs> I, I said to him at the start of the show, you, you sound like a shock jock. And he said to me, I am a shock jock. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? I really like him. And I have the same sense as, as you have there. I sent him a copy of my book and I wrote in the cover, you know, this could change your life, Mike, you know, kind of smiley and smiley face. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think it could. And I actually go on a show. Some people say to me, what are you doing there? He's an awful man. He's got an awful audience, that kind of stuff. But my, my reason for being there is he's got a big audience of people that we absolutely need to engage with because we've got to dispel these myths around the climate yeah. crisis, around what green living really really means and all that kind of stuff you know we need people like mike and his listeners on board yeah yeah and they're a great bunch as well so there you go um <laughs> here's one from uh here's one from steve in kent who says uh dale annian can you please move on from trump what this man what i said the other night there's never been anything where they have so many names i could give you 19 or 20 names for that right it's got all different names wuhan coronavirus right Kung flu, yeah. Uh, Steve says, yeah, that man. He, Steve says uh, he lost its old news. You're giving him too much airtime on this podcast. Do me a favor and remove him from the intro too. Well, I think that's fair, Steve. You know, if you're asking us to dump the Trump, then, you know, I'm going to back that campaign. Uh, yeah. I'll have a chat to Ian off air. But I think you're right. His, his time has virtually passed. Um, I think, I think the, we'll come, yeah, come the end of the year. He, he really, well, pretty much January, he won't be the president. So I've got right. a feeling that intro might have a, a maybe a Biden on there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, 14th of December, which is only about 10 days away, then the US election result becomes official, actually. And, yeah, and the yeah. handover is then just a matter of days, as you say. Um, and he'll be history. But, you know, I think we're going to pop back and, and visit him because I, I suspect he's going to face a series of legal challenges. And I do think he'll end up in jail. And that'll just be a little bit of fun. <laughs> I mean, that would be utterly extraordinary, wouldn't it, if a, an American president went to jail? He is utterly extraordinary, though. I mean, he's a very special man. He, you know, he, he continues even now uh, to say the most incredible things and, and to try the most incredible things, overturning the U.S. election. He's been trying in state courts that he packed with conservative judges. And I think just today there was a vote 4-3. One conservative judge didn't stick to, you know, with the majority and, and mm. refused to overturn the vote decision in Michigan. I think it was, you know, clearly there was a strategy here, pack the courts and uh, and then use them to overturn the election result four years later. Yeah, but you've got mostly, you know, there's a lot of Republican governors and politicians and former yeah. Republican presidents all saying, no, he lost. Yeah, yeah. They're coming out of the woodwork now. Um, yeah. It's taken them a long time, actually, to yeah. man up and say, do you know what? It was a fair election <laughs> True. And, and this man lost. But they, yeah. they, 
they kind of waited, didn't they, to see which way it was going to go. True. Although I think in fairness to George Bush, he was out the traps on day one because he can't stand Trump. So I didn't even vote for him. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, quite right. But he's not a current politician. Uh, That's know, true. Yeah. But those that are, I think they waited to make sure they were on the winning side. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, or the losing side, but before calling it as the losing side. <laughs> what do you make of this headline? Uh, this was from the New Scientist, and I, I spotted this, and I just thought, well, let me give you the headlines and get your response on this. Uh, limiting global warming to 1.5 Celsius over pre-industrial levels is only possible if we make better use of the world's forests, which collectively act as a kind of huge carbon sink. What, 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 what do you think we take from that? Well, I think it's probably right. I think, you know, there's an emerging uh, body of evidence around that, that, you know, there is enough land in the world and and tree planting habitat creation is the most effective and cost effective way to get carbon out of the atmosphere and store it up. And actually, when you combine that with the diet change that we have to make to move away from intensive animal farming, which is driving the climate crisis and driving the uh, depletion of wildlife and habitat depletion as well. When you couple those together, when we go plant-based, we free up 75% of the world's farmland. In Britain, that means we free up 50% of our entire land mass. If we give that back to nature, we don't just create a more beautiful country to live in. We also create an enormous carbon sink that can help us to get to carbon zero. So I think it's a perfectly joined up puzzle. And of course, it's in the book. It's in the book. There's that bugle again. Uh, this from <laughs> this from Alice on Facebook, who says, uh, "Random question, Dale. Uh, have you got an electric coach for Forest Green to travel in?" Not yet. And it's been on our wish list uh, since the beginning, really, since 2010, when we got involved with Forest Green. And we did think about making one at one point because we've got a bit of history in making electric things. Uh, but we decided it was a rather big project and we'd better just wait for the coach builders to come along. And you know they're coming. I think there are probably a couple of dozen electric buses in Britain right now. Uh, buses, not coaches. And But in, in China, there are hundreds of thousands. And so the day when we have an electric coach can't be very far away. It's it's on our shopping list. Yeah. What about horses? <laughs> yeah. Why not get us there in time? Well, yeah, I mean, you'd have to leave early. I mean, I'm not disputing it might be all, you know, leave on a Wednesday for a Saturday. I mean, depending on who you're playing, of course. But Yeah, yeah. I, I think actually horses are worse than lorry drivers when it comes to just pooing wherever they are. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there is, <laughs> there is that. I don't know how environmentally friendly a horse is if it's shitting all over the M1. I read somewhere they've just been banned from a city. Um, I think it was in Spain. I only read it this morning in a hurry. Um, horses have been banned. I don't know why, but I imagine it's something to do with pooing. Just treat it as a roundabout, couldn't you, really? <laughs> I guess there's that. <laughs> a mini roundabout. <laughs> a mini roundabout, yeah, depending on the nag. Uh, what about this as well? Landmark, a bit of a celebration, 15 years of the Reading Wind Turbine. Yeah, quite nice. That's the one by the M4. Um, yep. Monster of a machine. I remember the day we built it. It's at Green Park in Reading, kind of right by the junction, 100 meters from the road, super visible. Um, 17... So this is the first windmill? No, no. It would be our, uh, let me count them up, one, two, three, maybe fourth or something like okay. that. I'm not, I'm not really sure. But it's the most visible windmill in Britain. And um, I remember the day we built it, I drove down to Reading to take a look and all six lanes of the M4, both sides were slowed 
to a walking pace as everybody rubber neck wow. this massive windmill. And I was thinking, oh, yeah. shit, what have we done? There's <laughs> not an accident, but there so never has for, been, so that's okay. That's brilliant. And for you know, outsiders to this, what, what is that windmill, in layman's terms, Dale, what is that windmill doing? Um, I think we're talking about enough uh, energy annually for maybe 1,500 homes or something like that. But the actual reason we put it there was because, um, you know, at the time, and, and it won't be far off even now, nine out of 10 people have never seen a, had never seen a windmill. And yet there was a lot of um, a lot of opposition based on myths around windmills, you know, how they looked, how they sounded, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so we thought, you know, Reading is not a great place for a windmill. It's not a very windy place, but let's stick a big windmill right by the M4. Let's sure. put it where people people can see it because it will help us advance the planning discussion around onshore wind in Britain. Good work. Uh, a final one from Ken on Twitter, um, who's a Mike Graham fan, says in brackets. Me too. Uh, Dale, how can you call yourself green if you've published a book? You have killed trees, says Ken. Yes, Ken, but they were sustainable you're, trees. They were. You're in the dock, Dale Vince. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You've killed the trees. Tell us about what's your defense for the tree cull. They're, they're sustainable trees. They're, they're from uh, FFC uh, accredited sources. Every part of the book, the, the pages, the cover, the jacket is, uh, I, I guess you'd call it renewable because trees are replanted to replace the ones that are cut down. That's sustainable forestry for a sustainable yeah. paper. I mean, you know, we have to avoid paper where we can, but books are a thing that people want. And uh, yeah. to a degree, I think it's okay to have them. Good work. I was going to say this. I mean, there was some brilliant news this week. I haven't even had time to kind of um, do much about it. But the European Court in Strasbourg has taken up a challenge, uh, a, a claim basically by some climate activists, some kids uh, against, I think, something like 27 countries saying they aren't doing enough to fight the climate crisis. And they're fast tracking this through the court because they recognize the urgency of it. And if they find in favor of the activists, then all of the countries that are under the governance of the uh, Court of Human Rights will be forced to to move faster and set uh, harder, bigger targets on climate change, wow. which is incredible. There's another move to bring in a law of ecocide. Again, this is happening in Europe. Uh, shame that we're leaving, uh, you know, which is a, a crime against nature, basically, uh, which I think is amazing. Shell are in the dock in Holland being accused of holding back the fight against climate change, having known about it for, I don't know, maybe 30 years or something. And they're yep. facing some severe penalties if and when. I think it might be when they get found guilty. Uh, just a whole raft of great news and it all appears to be on the legal front actually and it's all in europe yeah that's fascinating so i mean these could be absolute game changers and accelerating everything we tend to talk about on this podcast yeah totally dale that's it for uh, for this episode um, nice one. have a cracking weekend we'll speak next friday yeah brilliant look forward to it in don't forget, of course, you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you get each of these episodes automatically. We always like it if you leave a review there as well. It's rather handy. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. And really important bit, make sure you follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero Carbon East Off.